This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Monday, April 25th. I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, Town Council approves preliminary plan for voodoo housing development, Mountain Village moves forward with Meadows Housing Project, Capital Conversation talks wildfires and taxes, and a mountain weather forecast. But first... Telluride and Norwood lost a member of their community. Jonathan Sapp passed away last week. Sapp was found dead outside his Norwood home on the morning of Friday, April 22nd. He was 50 years old. Crippen Funeral Home will handle services. The case is under investigation. Sapp is survived by his siblings, Lori, Susan, Holly, Libby, Mike, and Chris, and his parents, Ed and Jeannie. The Voodoo Affordable Housing Development cleared a hurdle on Monday. In a three-hour meeting, adding on from a nearly five-hour meeting last week, Telluride Town Council, sitting as the Historic and Architectural Review Commission, narrowly approved the preliminary plan for the Voodoo Housing Project. The development lot sits on the corner of Willow and Pacific, just across from the post office. The town of Telluride owns the property and plans to develop it for mixed use. 29 units of affordable housing, commercial space, public restrooms, a relocation of the free box, and the restoration of a historic shed. As part of the design, the town is looking for variances on height. The height maximum in the district is 35 feet. The town is looking to build up to 40 feet in some areas, with just over 36 feet in others. The district also recommends one- and two-story buildings. The proposed design does have some areas of three stories. When it comes to the project, members of the HARC board and community have shared concern about the mass and scale of the proposed development. However, through town council's call-up process, the majority of opposition comes from the procedure, asking council to send the project back to HARC for review. Here's Sally Puff Courtney speaking during public comment on Monday. You're all smart people. You work hard. You have a lot of major decisions to make. But as a 45 plus year broker and a lover of architecture, um, after the process, I could no sooner make decisions that you're making today than fly to the moon. I couldn't do it. Now, maybe you all better have a much better understanding, but I just went through this process and I really believe that it needs to go back to Hark. I'd like to see it go back to Hark without conditions. Hark member Sherry Harvey began to lay out her concerns about mass and scale. I kind of feel like getting into these details is something that we should be doing on Hark. And after having listened to you all, you already have your motion prepared before our comment. So I'm not really sure this is worth our my time right now. Um, we, we have spent hours on Hark trying to make this compatible, and so I, I'm not really understanding why I'm even allowed to be speaking now because it doesn't seem as if my comments are are going to be considered. Harvey is worried what a project like the Voodoo development will do for Telluride standing as a national historic district. But for Councilmember Adrian Christie, the development is a balance between the needs of preserving history and the needs of the community now. We have chosen as a community to honor a period of significance that is 35 years. I'm turning 35 years old this year. That's a pretty relative to the time of our of the town. 
brief period of time that we as a society are going to have to continually try and attempt to honor. And I, and I think it's a worthy endeavor, but we can't um, hold back progress and acknowledgement of changing times in our community. Council member Geneva Shawnette adds she has concerns about the process from the HARC board itself. We called the project up because HARC repeatedly discussed and considered things that were outside of their purview. And that includes discussing the affordable housing within the project, the parking needs of the neighborhood, and that the town shouldn't be trying to maximize their lot and ask for any variances. And we also had ex parte and other inappropriate communications the chair was reaching out to the mayor after the call-up to try and speak about the, the situation with the call-up, which he knows is inappropriate during a quasi-judicial application process. And I just, I feel like we've been hearing these comments from the public requesting that we consider the perceived fairness and due process with, you know, us sitting as judges of our own project and remand this back to Hark, but they're completely ignoring other violations of due process that Hark members have been applying to this process. But council member Mian Fee says bias is complicated. What a mess this is. You know, we live in a small community, um, a tight, small little town, which means that almost always conflicts are gonna abound. Um, as public officials, we need to truly evaluate our ability to be impartial in guiding the future of the community. While I believe that the concerns raised um, when we called this up and initially discussed this matter are still incredibly valid, and are still really, really troublesome to me. Um, I do not think that our concerns of the Hark Board's bias supersede our intrinsic bias that the council has in sitting as the client and the deciding body. In the end, town council approved the preliminary plan for the voodoo housing development four to two, with Mayor Delaney Young and council members Adrian Christie, Geneva Shawnette, and Dan Enright voting in support. Council members Lars Carlson and Mian Fee voted against. Councilmember Jesse Ray Arguez was not in attendance of the meeting. Council included a number of recommendations related to mass and scale for the project architects to address as it moves forward into the final design phase. Through the vote, Council also decided to send the project back to the HARC board for discussion and approval on the final design. Mountain Village's latest housing development is moving forward. Last week, Mountain Village Town Council met with Triumph Development, a Colorado-based development company, to discuss a new housing project in the Meadows. The project will sit on Lot 644. The 1.4-acre parcel was designed to be affordable housing when Mountain Village incorporated itself in the mid-90s. According to Mike Foster, with Triumph Development, the project will create 33 units, a mix of a multifamily building, three studio units, two two-bedroom units, and then eight one-bedroom units. Uh, studios are about 460 square feet all the way up to a two-bedroom unit that's about a little over 900 square feet. And then, like I said, each one of the units uh, we're proposing to have storage on the ground level. And we say storage, it's, it's a good-sized storage area. It's about 110, 120 square feet. There will be 20 townhomes, some on the uphill side of the lot. Each one of those have a one-car garage. Um, the end units, there's three threeplexes. The end units are, are two-bedroom, two-bath. They're about 13 1,300 square feet. 
the middle two units, there's a middle unit in this building, middle unit in this building, there's a three bedroom, three bath, and that's about 1,800 square feet in what we're proposing today. The remaining on the downhill side? Um, the, again, the end units are one story at the parking lot side, two stories on the downhill side. That's two bedroom, two bath, about 1,100 square feet. Middle units are two stories on the parking lot side, three stories on the downhill side. Those are three bedroom, three bath, and those are around 1,500 square feet. Triumph plans to use modular construction to build the homes. Foster adds they hope to make the development as green as possible. You know, we're proposing all electric heat, all, all electric AC, and doing that with a, with a VTAC unit, a high, high elevation, high um, energy VTAC system. But then also on that south-facing roof, introducing solar and, and trying to take advantage of, of our site. Councilmember Patrick Barry is supportive of a green project, but questions how carbon-neutral development could impact the price tag. I am not so naive to think that carbon neutrality comes free. So I think we have to vet out what's the additional cost, either per square foot or per, per unit. I don't know how we get to that, but there's great concern, especially with the amount that Mountain Village is coming forward with in dollar terms. We're a partner on this, so we have an opportunity to make something that's excellent from that side of the equation, but how does it stay affordable? The town of Mountain Village has not yet determined how much the units will cost, they will be all for sale, or what a deed restriction will look like. But Mountain Village town manager Paul Weiser notes, hopefully the development won't end up costing taxpayer dollars. Mountain Village is putting in $4.3 million, recouping those funds as the units sell. Once we've recouped our equity uh, and there is profit in the project, we split that profit with Triumph uh, on an 80 for Triumph 20 uh, basis. And so uh, I believe that the thought is that, yes, we are putting money into the project, but we won't ultimately at the end of the day necessarily, and this is no guarantee, um, we won't necessarily be spending taxpayer dollars that hopefully at the end of the day will actually be making a return uh, on this investment. Town Council unanimously approved a pre-development agreement to continue the process with Triumph. Triumph plans to meet with Mountain Village's Design Review Board on Thursday, May 5th to further discuss the project. As Colorado's General Assembly moves closer and closer to the end of its session, things are ramping up. This week on Capital Conversation, KOTO State House reporter Scott Franz talks about wildfire legislation and taxes. Have a listen. Hey, Scott, thanks for taking a couple minutes to chat with me today. Hey, my pleasure, Julia. So the first uh, maybe set of bills I wanted to chat with you today um, is looking at wildfire prevention, support for folks who have been through that, um, in kind of response to the fact that we have a lot, we've had a lot of fires in Colorado the past few years. What are these bills looking to do? Right. Well, you know, it, it was very interesting you know, we've had such critical fire weather, um, you know, around the state, but especially here on the, the front range recently. Um, and one of the first announcements last week is the state is going to invest um, an extra $25 million beyond, you know, all the bills we, we know of that are moving through um, just to prepare for, for this summer. Um, you know, that includes getting more air tankers on reserve because 
you know, the state says we're competing with basically the whole Mountain West, um, you know, if if it is a bad fire season here. Uh, there was also another new bill um, to create this Office of Climate Preparedness, uh, which kind of follows a theme from Democrats in recent years to create these new government offices that are, are focused more on a, a single issue. Now, the sponsors of this bill say you know, this new office will help uh, help create new plans for wildfire prevention uh, and really put a new focus on the fact that you know it's no longer fire season. Um, but you know we could strike any time during the year and to kind of help communities prepare for that. Um, Governor Polis was also asked, you know, whether he supports a statewide uh, building code to be adopted, you know, for wildfire prevention. And and that seems like it's a little more mixed um, from from his view. He expressed some support for for looking into it, but. Um, so far, no legislation on that front. You know, and you, you kind of touched on it a little bit, but do these bills feel just par for the course in lawmakers addressing these issues kind of on a yearly basis or as they come up? Or does it feel like there is added pressure or intensity to, you know, the rate at which or the size of these bills that are coming up because we have had these really intense last few years? I do feel there's more pressure on, on lawmakers, especially this year. Uh, I mean, in the last month alone, just the number of fires we've seen pop up. But but I think there are still some fundamental questions that, that remain out there, you know, including this question of building codes and kind of going to the next tier of things. Because, you know, so much of what we've seen so far is money, you know, for grants and helping people rebuild. But you know, the actual preventing homes from, from being destroyed and changing the way we think about you know, how homes are built. You know, I think that's still something that, that's lingering. Switching gears a bit, um, Coloradans will be getting some money back this summer um, from, from taxes. What's going on there? <laughs> right. Well, it all starts with, with Tabor. And uh, I'll give you kind of the, the 22nd um, version, you know, this was the, the Taxpayer Bill of Rights that passed in 1992. It um, basically puts a, a limit on how much Colorado can can spend in tax revenue each year. And, you know, tax collections have been so good recently that the state is required to send some money back to taxpayers because they can't legally spend it. Now, now the interesting thing happening um, just today and, and this week is you know, we weren't expecting Tabor refunds to to come out until um, next spring, um, you know, a, a year from now. But the governor and Democratic lawmakers say they're going to pass a bill to get refunds out um, in August or September of this year. And, you know, immediately Republicans are calling this a political game. It's interesting because Republicans are very supportive of Tabor and Tabor refunds. But now they're in this position of criticizing the the timing of of when they're coming. You know, this is the criticism is that you know this is you know months before Polis is up for re-election. We've got a big election season. You know, one of the biggest topics we're hearing debated is cost of living, the impacts of inflation, and, and here's this announcement that you know Colorado taxpayers are getting checks. Um, you know, months before that election, um, earlier than anticipated. Um, the other interesting part of this is normally, 
you know, Tabor refunds, I'm told, it, it's based on how much in taxes you pay. So, you know, the, the wealthier, um, you know, people who pay more in taxes usually get more money back. Um, but the way they're doing this now is this, this kind of set amount to everyone actually benefits lower income residents who wouldn't have gotten, you know, many of whom wouldn't have gotten this um, $400 refund. You just mentioned this bill still needs to be debated a bit. Um, the legislature is coming to an end, but they are still, <laughs> you know, talking through and, and having discussions on bills that are before them. So what are you expecting um, the Capitol to look like over the next couple of weeks as, you know, they're they're getting into lawmakers are getting into their final days um, of this? Yeah, session? yeah, <laughs> we are at the the final time. I, I expect, you know, there will be more surprises kind of like um Today, you know, it's we're getting closer and closer to uh, a major election, and I think you know once once this kind of end of session deadline comes into focus, I think that's really crunch time for for a lot of ideas that perhaps have been you know debated behind the scenes. Whether there'll be things that you know have the political support to pass uh, this year or not, um, I think yeah, the pace is going to pick up. I mean. Even today, there's affordable housing bills advancing and passing. There's wildfire bills passing. Uh, almost every hour, it's a new major um, piece of legislation that is inching closer to the governor's desk. And I think you know we'll see those go through and then perhaps even some things we haven't even talked about yet. Well, we'll let you get back to reporting on all of those things. <laughs> and um, we'll, we'll talk with you more as the legislature gets into its final days. That sounds great, Julia. Thanks. That was KOTO Scott Franz reporting from Denver. Mountain Village Town Council will begin meeting more often. Last week, Town Council agreed to add a second special meeting each month in order to keep meetings shorter. We've had some very long meetings recently that have been accompanied by some very long packets. Uh, and so we've then had to have uh, some additional meetings of late uh, to deal with some issues that we haven't been able to get to do those long meetings. That's Mountain Village Town Manager Paul Weiser. He notes if there is a light agenda, town council may not need to hold a second meeting each month. The second Mountain Village Town Council meeting will take place the week following the regularly scheduled meeting. Town council will meet for a special April meeting this Thursday, April 28th. If music be the food of love, play on. Heartbeat, an eight-woman a cappella group, took Shakespeare's words to heart. The group has been singing together in Telluride since 1994. They have opened the Bluegrass Festival and the Telluride Jazz Celebration, toured on the Blue Stage Theater in Paonia, the Art Center in Moab, and the Sand Island Bluegrass Festival in Bluff, Utah. They've also performed at the post office, in the bike path tunnel, and at the stairwell of the elementary school, even standing in the Gunnison River. This week, Heartbeat is coming home for a performance at Christ Church, a quote, upbeat and intimate concert with folk and pop songs, bluegrass and jazz compositions, as well as original pieces. Heartbeat live in concert will take place on Wednesday, April 27th at 7 p.m. at Christ Church. More emergency drought measures are on the way to help prop up Lake Powell. 
KUNC's Alex Hager reports they're detailed in a new plan from the federal government and the four states in the upper Colorado River Basin. The plan is to send 500,000 acre-feet of water downstream from Flaming Gorge Reservoir in Utah and Wyoming to make sure there's enough in Lake Powell to keep generating hydropower. Gene Shawcroft is the Colorado River Commissioner for the state of Utah. He signed on to the plan. I think everybody's pretty comfortable that this is, at this moment in time, the best solution we have at our, in our at our disposal. The releases are a sign of drastic measures needed after more than two decades of drought with no end in sight. The plan also leaves the door open for even more releases from Colorado and New Mexico over the next two years. I'm Alex Hager. Elections for Colorado's 3rd Congressional District will be here before you know it. In anticipation of the hotly contested race, KVNF Radio spoke with the candidates running to represent the Western Slope in Congress. Kate Redmond spoke with Republican Don Corum, a state senator from Montrose. Colorado District 3 candidate Don Corum grew up and went to school in Montrose and married his high school sweetheart. His family has been in ranching and in stockyards. He also worked in the petroleum industry and was a co-founder of The Coffee Trader. He was first elected to the House of Representatives in 2010 and served three terms. During his fourth term, he filled a vacancy in the Senate when Senator Ellen Roberts resigned. He has been in the Senate for six years. He has served on the Agriculture Committee, State Affairs, Judiciary, and Transportation Committees. As a candidate for the U.S. House District 3, he is collecting signatures for a petition to get on the Republican ballot to challenge Lauren Boebert. He has limited time to campaign as a busy senator. His fundraising is nascent, but picking up speed from Republican voters who seek a moderate. What do you think is the single most important issue facing the residents of the 3rd District? Well, I think it's uncertainty, and and that goes into a, a lot of areas. I mean, we're looking at excessive inflation, cost of gasoline, uh, the rent increases of 25%. And that's that's huge. Jobs in the economy and safety. We have people that are actually concerned uh, with their safety. You know, just affordability, I think, is the main thing that, that I'm classifying most of the issues under. Are you keeping up with the cost of inflation? Are you able to provide for your family? Frankly, it's kind of scary because... I never saw empty shelves in grocery stores before until this last few months. And considering that all this cost of transportation and knowing that 40% of our food is uh, being imported, it's scary. What is a specific piece of signature legislation you want to author in Congress? I'm a poker player. I don't play my cards. I don't lay my cards down till, till the game's over. Some very significant legislation, but... It is not public till November. Talk about your involvement with water conservation, water delivery, and protecting watersheds. Well, I grew up, you know, and uh, very shortly started carrying an irrigation shovel and uh, realized the value of water. So you talk about watersheds. Our biggest problem is the neglect for more than 50 years of our national forest. That is our largest reservoir. We have far more trees in our forest than Mother Nature intended us to ever have, and uh, we never managed it. You know, the beetle kill, is the simple answer is a healthy tree will pitch the beetle out. But when you're at an area may say from 40 to 400 trees would be a healthy uh, tree population, and we're at 1,400, 
there's where you have problems. Talk about how you think our current Congress member, Lauren Boebert, is doing. She is an excellent self-promoter. Legislatively, uh, no accomplishments. Spends more time auditioning for whatever than actually doing the people's business. I'm disappointed. I had hopes. And frankly, if I thought she was doing the job, I would never be in this race. But I think it's important that uh, someone that step up that actually got the background and experience to do the job. You know, when I when it was first talked about running, there was an article in the Denver Post that said Don Coram, the, the new hope for the future of Congress, because I've been able to go in and work together, build coalitions. And it's all done on relationships and trust. And if you want to go around attacking everyone, you're not going to have a relationship. Reporting for KVNF and the Rocky Mountain Community Radio Coalition, I'm Kate Redmond. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for partly cloudy skies tonight with a low around 30 degrees. Tuesday should be mostly sunny during the day and mostly cloudy at night with a high in the mid-50s and a low around 40. Winds could gust as high as 30 miles per hour. Wednesday, there is a slight chance of showers with partly sunny skies and a high near 60 degrees. Wednesday night should be mostly clear with a low around 35. This has been the news for Monday, April 25th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206.